everybody welcome to bird road it's bird road podcast everyone's dying everybody's being murdered in the streets it's fucking cool yeah so uh in Walmart. are you drinking a beer no <laughs> no um i'm q and i'm jewish dave This is Bird Road, the sometimes socialist something podcast that from the left to the right. You hear that, folks? That's the sound of me not taking an hour or two out of my life to create an outline for this episode. But do you like that I at least tried? I at least tried. It was bad, but I tried. Jewish Dave (laughs) getting points for at least trying since 1981. 1980. But I guess I didn't try as a little baby, though. But, um, yeah. Yeah, no, it took you a year to start not trying. We're all those things, though. And uh, you can follow us on social media. So Great. Yeah. Thanks for telling people to follow us on social media. You can uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. And actually, no, it's called Apple Podcasts. So I'm already fucking that up, too. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Hey, where did you put us in Apple Podcasts? Did you put us in a new category? I haven't done that yet. Should I do that? You're supposed to. Uh, awesome Movie Year, one of our sister shows, uh, is actually featured for awesome movie year. in the uh, film history category. So we really should uh, feature, uh, put us in a specific category, so maybe they'll feature us. That would be cool. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Stranger things have happened. Maybe fuck yourself. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe fuck yourself. Maybe fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, I've got nipples, fuck. Huh? <laughs> uh, oh, so what's up, Dave? Tell me about your week. Um, do you have any big news to share with us? Big news? Like, what, what are you suggesting exactly? Like, life-changing news. <laughs> do you have any big fucking things to talk about? <laughs> On this episode, Jesus fucking Christ! Can I paint? Can I paint? Can I paint a more clear <laughs> picture or what? I mean, I think I know what you're alluding to. Um, me and my fiance Gina just got engaged. Squee! <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we were on a, a little camping trip, and I finally proposed after twelve and a half years. And uh, Q, of course, is going to be my best man. Yeah. And we're going to. You hear that, all you haters and losers out there <laughs> who are hoping that you could be the best man? Think again, fuck faces. Because. I don't want um, a single one of you fucks at our wedding. Not not one of you <laughs> will be attending the wedding. Yes. I've already made the choice. I'm in charge of the guest list, actually. <laughs> in a stroke of. Um, some would say genius, others would say madness. <laughs> Uh, Dave and Gina have put me in charge of the um, guest list. Yes. And I get to pick who comes and who doesn't. So, um, you know, be nice to me. That's right. Because it's going to be the, uh, it's going to be the event of the year, whatever year it ends up happening in. Next year. Next year. Yeah. You guys aren't going to do the long, uh, I mean, long engagement. After 12 and a half years, I mean, we might as well have done it this year, but, uh, you know, it takes a little time to book things. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, we're excited. It's uh, it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be fun. 
You gonna let her peg you on the wedding night? I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, you are in charge we'll of the wedding so. activities, so I guess that's. I'm not in charge of the wedding night. Don't put me. Don't put that on me. <laughs> don't put that evil on me. <laughs> uh, We're recording with all types of freedom, right, Dave? That's right. Yeah, we uh, we don't we don't have this is different. We we have nothing right now. We've got we got nothing. We don't have outlines. We don't have we don't have schedules. We don't have deadlines. We don't have anything. We're just couple of dudes hanging out. You have your tongue out. I don't know why, but <laughs> practicing. Uh, practicing so, for your wedding night, baby. Nice. So uh so that oh. that that's the big news of my uh week. What what, what happened with you? you I'm super anything? psyched. I'm really happy about that. Um you guys have been together almost as long as my wife and I have been together and my wife and I at this point have been married for like fucking 8 years. Mm-hmm. So that's great. That's great to hear. Uh, you love to you love you do love to hear it. Probably talk a little about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I know you've been wanting to talk to me about a little bit. Um, we could talk about oh, all the yeah. all the people who I are getting that. shot Finally and go- killed in this country. I'm sure that'll come up at some point. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's super fun. Well, to this talk is about Bird Road, movie. and that does usually come up things like that. Um, we could talk about. Uh, well, I missed the second debate, so because yeah, I was camping, I was camping. Um, you missed nothing. 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 What else happened? Um, the debates were bullshit. Nobody gives a fuck about that cowardly ass bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, agreed. Who's gonna? I mean, come on. Agreed. Um, Tools coming out with a new album. <laughs> Tools coming out with a new album. Imagine if we spend cool. a whole hour on Tool. That, that would be the weirdest. Uh, I don't thing. think I have an hour worth of material on Tool to share with you. Although I would riff off of you. Um, I don't remember. I think I don't remember. I know we saw a Maynard concert together. I don't know if it was Perfect Circle or Tool. I think it was Tool because I mean I've seen them like because seven it was times. at a time where both of them were being pretty prolific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he hasn't released any music for like thirteen years, right? No, like, no. A uh, Perfect Circle just came out with a new album like a year, two years ago or something. Uh, okay. It's been a while other than that though. Uh, and Tool, yes, absolutely. It's been twelve years since their last album. So the cool shit about yeah. Tool and and about that, I think, right, is that. As of the other day, they released Tool stuff on streaming for the first yeah. time. Before before now, you basically had to buy a CD of Tool. Wh- right? Which is funny because, I mean, they were my one of my favorite bands for the longest, longest time. But as soon as I gave up on all forms of music except for streaming, I just I haven't listened to them at all since then. <laughs> because it's just too, it's too much work for me to actually listen to them. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to starting to listen to them again, maybe, and see if I still like them as much as I used to. I, I, as you know, I mostly listen to very sad, acoustic-y music. And so it's going to be interesting to see how my earbuds react to all that heavy screaming. And uh, this is that perfect time for you to really test out that theory I have about our ears becoming stupid mm. over the years. Yeah. Like, because if you listen to tool, if you listen to tool tools, new album and you don't like it, you really have to question yourself a little bit. You have to be like, okay, is it me? Right. Right. Am I the one who's wrong? It's true. No, it is the, it's the kids who are wrong. Well, also you get, you got to um, wonder once you get to this age, whether or not you want just 
nice, good songs? Or are you okay with digging into like weird songs with like a cult and like, like changing time signatures and all kinds of like weird musical things that like no one else can do, only they can do. And it's like, you know, impressive shit, you know, it's like, do you even really want that anymore? Do you just want some nice songs? You know, I for one try so hard to keep fresh and like listen to new stuff. Mm. It's hard because let me tell you, yeah, you do go, you go through to like to give a chance to everything that's trending, yeah, right, yeah, or to everything that like maybe people you work with tell you about, or every people that you randomly know, or you know, if there if there's noise about it in your you know social network or your social circles. Mm. To give an opportunity and oxygen to all of that stuff is, um, it's real hit or miss and like mostly miss because mm-hmm. like you'll listen through. I just last year, which I know I'm super late to this shit, but just last year I discovered Kendrick Lamar. I hadn't really, mm-hmm. I was aware of him, but I hadn't listened to him. Great, right? Mm-hmm. I had to listen to like recommendations of like 50 shitty SoundCloud rappers <laughs> from everybody that I work with under the age of 30 being like, no, no, this guy's actually pretty good. You should check him out. I don't know how you and do it. And garbage. And I look good faith, man. Fucking good faith. I, I, I did listen. I tried to like all this fucking machine gun Kelly garbage Ugh. and all that shit out there. Ugh. And I'm like, yeah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But you know, whatever you hit. You you know you know what I was thinking about today um, that I find so strange. Dave, let's seamlessly transition. Okay, sure. Into my favorite movie of the year so far. I don't think I'm like going out on any limbs or anything like that, but mm-hmm. um, Quentin Tarantino, the irascible, irrepressible, <laughs> last of the uh, celebrity directors. Yes, as it were, probably not going to be. Uh, it's just so funny because he's so charmless and lacking in charisma <laughs> but it's so funny that for some reason he's like this i really do think it's like his his last name is just very or his his name generally is very unique mm-hmm. and kind of like uh i don't know he's, I think he sounds is, like a classic film director like somebody that right. you would read about in books i don't remember why we started no you know, how, how, why don't we start with this what's your first like quentin tarantino memory before we get into once upon a time in hollywood his uh, current uh, feature right out, that's out right now, highest grossing feature um, on opening weekend sure. in his yeah. uh, illustrious career. What's your first memory of uh, Tarantino shit? I just remember, I, I don't remember Reservoir Dogs. I remember everyone talking about Pulp Fiction like it was the beginning of a new era of movies. And I wasn't... You and I were too young, really, to go see either of those movies in the theater. Like, Yeah, were... I did not see Pulp Fiction in the theater. Jackie Brown was the first one I saw in the theater, and I was still too, too. young. I didn't, like get it at the time i only just I recently I went think i back. was like maybe 17 or 18 when, when it came yeah, out yeah yeah that sounds about right and, and uh, i definitely i don't think i was supposed to it was a rated r movie right yeah 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 so how, we were how just old are you supposed to be to get in to rated r? Se- 17 17 yeah so and oh, okay. we were so we were just on the that. edge of that but yeah because i think it did come out in 97 i think so um but yeah i didn't quite get it at the time but i did see pulp fiction before going to see it and you know, there's so much to love in that, even if you don't get everything. Um, it's just such a great fucking movie. It's just amazing. Um, and it holds up. We were uh, re-watching it for a special episode of Piecing It Together, and it's amazing when you watch it now with, uh, you know, 20-whatever years, uh, you know, uh, behind. Jesus, 20, 25 years. Yeah, years, it, like it's that. crazy. And um, when you're watching it every 
freaking line of the movie is a, a quotable classic like right what, it's something that you say yeah, all the time it's insane like it's yeah or people say or annoying yeah. on original people say yeah you know, yeah or memes constantly. yeah memes yeah mm-hmm. so yeah for me i would say my first memory of um quentin tarantino was I don't know if he listens to this podcast. He probably doesn't because I haven't heard from him in forever. But <laughs> my best friend in um, in high school, John Ellick, was that kid who sort of always knew about the up-and-coming shit, mm. like the stuff that was coming out. He was like very in the little town of Cary, North Carolina, where there's not a lot of culture and there's not a lot of – nothing interesting is happening, basically, mm. um, where – he was that kid that was sort of wired in and knew about cool shit coming down the pike and would always show me, I would stay, you know, stay over his house and we'd watch movies and he would always have the the hot shit that I'd never seen. And, um, he was like, you know, one day he was like, you got to see this, this movie reservoir dogs. And, uh, we watched that. And then I feel like a month or two later is like, was reservoir dogs had already been out for a little while. A couple months later, um, was uh pulp fiction came out in the theaters i was too young to go see that i think i was like 14 or something like that Mm -hmm. or yeah and i was like yeah you're not gonna go see pulp fiction in the theater by yourself and you're not going with your parents so wait before you before you continue does this mean neither of us entered via true romance that came later for both of us i wasn't aware that of of his involvement in true right yeah i I wasn't either no true romance came at a very specific time for me where i was going through where i was like I don't know how you explain this time, but that time when you first really, for me, it was when I was like 18 freshman year of college. When you start to really develop what your tastes are going to end up being. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, there was like, there was like a a slew of like four or five movies in my dorm and in, in, at, at, uh, and in like my apartment that I had just on a regular rotation. One of them was, um, was, uh, from dust till dawn, Mm -hmm. which I think came out in like 98, maybe. Um, another one was uh, True Romance, mm-hmm. which was very early, right? That was like his first. Well, that was yeah. It? He wrote that while he was still writing, working at the uh, video store, and he used the money from that yeah. to to yep. get um, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and then um, and then uh, Swingers, right? Those mm-hmm. three movies, yeah. which we watched like, a million times together, which we watched a million times in our formative years. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so that was like. You know, I probably like if you would have walked into one of my apartments when I was like 18 or 19 years old, you would have seen like posters of those movies probably in a very fucking very cliche trite way. Yeah, I had yeah. those, all the all that shit. I was very into that. I actually mentioned I was on, that uh, typical kid on the awesome uh, movie year episode about Pulp Fiction. I mentioned we, when we talk about the uh, legacy of of a movie, I talked about uh, how the, part of its legacy was being a poster on every college kid's yeah. dorm room. And I was thinking of you when I said that. So. <laughs> Boondock Saints. Yep. Boondock uh, Saints. What's another one? Come on. Uh, um, I was never this guy. I was never this guy, but Scarface. Yeah, Scarface absolutely is what I was thinking for the next one. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, that's from Once We Come with our Quentin Tarantino. We are the age-appropriate, like, late 30s dudes of, you know, of, like, being into, uh, like, coming of age during the Quentin Tarantino time. And, um, okay, let's start with your, like, Twitter-length review of once upon a time what did you think uh i think the the 
main thing about this movie, uh, and I, I have talked about it at length on our Piecing It Together podcast, but the is main the feet. thing <laughs> is not the feet, um, but is that this is the most different movie in his entire uh, filmography. The closest thing would be Jackie Brown, which up until this point was the you most different so? movie. That's a weird yeah. way for you to describe it. I feel like his most different movie is Inglorious Bastards because it's like eighty percent of it is in a foreign is in a different foreign language, and mm-hmm. like it's so a departure. But why do you think that? So I think that because it's focusing more on on uh, more of an emotional connection with the characters, and I think there's more. This is less about action, or less about revenge, or less about violence, or any of that kind of stuff than it is about people and their journey and them learning things and them, you know, growing in different ways. And uh, and and it, that's what makes it so different. And that's like the number one thing that when I first watched out of the theater, I know now I'm going past the Twitter uh, length. No, no. But when the first when I first watched out of the theater, I was like, I don't know if I really liked it that much. But then as I started thinking about what he was trying to say, it it completely started to grow on me. And now I I absolutely loved it within a couple days of thinking about it. And uh, I think that that is something that is usually reserved for people like Coen Brothers, people like Paul Thomas Anderson. This reminds me more of those kind of movies than it does of Tarantino, but it still has, you know, lots of Tarantino's, you know, usual flair as well. Yeah. For me, it's like, it's part of, I I think it's definitely his most hopeful and positive. Honestly, the only, the only thing funnier i think he's ever done is i know he wrote that one act the of uh four rooms remember remember mm-hmm. that act he did of four rooms i i haven't seen that since it came out so i okay. barely remember it i was gonna rewatch by the way that shout out once again to john ellick from high school the uh, another like late night stay over the house you know john <laughs> ellick showed me that movie too which I, again these are movies we all have that friend that guy who shows us this shit that you would never know about for me, actually, later it was you. You yeah. ended up being becoming that guy who showed me a lot of formative stuff when we were in our like late teens, early twenties. Um, nice, but uh, yeah, Four Rooms. If you haven't seen Four Rooms, great movie overall. I think it was four different directors. I forget who the other ones were. I'm sure one of them was Robert Rodriguez. I think. I think, and so. then two other directors that did these four vignettes that tied together. the The star was Tim Roth, and mm-hmm. um, so anyway. That this is the funniest thing I've seen him do, yeah, in a long time. I mean, there's funny stuff in every Quentin Tarantino movie, but this is, I mean, even more than Jackie Brown, where the the humor was very cerebral. Mm-hmm. This was very buddy comedy, sure type of you know. This was like a this was a buddy comedy. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, two great characters like. You know, one one thing, I guess this is a perfect place to mention this. It's a, a puzzle piece I left out that I should have said on our Piecing It Together episode is the nice guys. Um, because they're these two these oh, two yeah. guy these two guys who For really sure. don't they don't have shit going on anymore. Like they've time has kind of passed them by, but here they go. They get this opportunity to matter, you know? And I just think that that's such an interesting uh, you know, character trajectory. I could have, by the way, before I like critically analyzed the movie, I could just, I just want to say that like, uh, when you talk about it being a buddy comedy, mm-hmm. not just the permutations of, not there's a lot of permutations beyond just um, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, 
I mean, I could have watched a whole movie about Leonardo DiCaprio and the little girl. Yeah, right. That that was a great dynamic, super hilarious. Oh, yeah. We don't really see much of her after the second act, but mm-hmm. it was a you know great great dynamic. And then forget the actress's name, um, but the actress who played the uh, daughter in the Leftovers is um, she plays Pussycat Quali, yeah, Quali something Quali. Yeah, I forgot yeah. her last name or her first name, but um. I could have watched the whole movie about her and Brad Pitt's character and their like oh, yeah. misadventures and uh, yeah. everything about that. Um, but the one thing that I was thinking about as I was watching this movie was like the famous F. Scott Fitzgerald line where he's like, there are no second act. There's a whole category of movies that are sort of, you could call them refutations of the the line, there are no second acts in American life, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh yeah, well here's an example of somebody getting a second act. Here's somebody... Right. Here, here's a, here's a, a second try, a, a new life that people have, and um, and this is like a great example of that. I love the the underlying theme of like when you think things are going one way, and when you think that, you know, uh, to sort of paraphrase the DiCaprio character, uh, what was his name Jake uh, Dalton, uh, Rick Dalton, yeah, Rick Dalton. To to paraphrase his character, his character who was reading a a, a novella. At the time, he was basically like, started crying, and he was like, "He realizes every day he's a little more useless than the day before." <laughs> and I like, I think that like, if you're older than thirty, we all know that feeling where you feel sure. a little more useless than you were the day before, and <laughs> like, you feel yourself fading. Like you're fading. You are. Yeah. And because uh, like, come on, let's be honest. Human beings weren't supposed to live past thirty. We were supposed to die at thirty. <laughs> you can tell because we start to fall to shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. But I think that that's great. I think that the way that they that they did it and the way that they played with history in the same way that they played with that he played with history in Inglorious Bastards was sure fun. I've read and I want to get your opinion. I want to do. I don't care about our takes so much. I'm more interested actually in ta- having a conversation about what you what your takes are about the takes that are right, out there. Right. Right. Yeah. Like because yeah. what I read was first of all okay. I've heard a lot of bullshit reviews on this movie. Colored my perception going into it. The movie was good enough. Again, I said that this has been my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, And the movie was good enough that it cut through my preconceived notions about what it would be based on the sentiment that was out there in Mm -hmm. social media. But, like, let's tackle some of the criticism. So there are people who are out there who say, amongst the myriad slew of problems that people have with the movie, that... The involvement of the real-life Manson storyline undercuts the movie or or weakens the movie because all you're waiting for is for – you think you're going to be served up this horrible, gory scene where a pregnant woman, Sharon Tate, will be violently murdered. You know Mm. that it's Quentin Tarantino. You know it's his oeuvre to, like, show horrible shit like that happen. Sure, And and you're just like (gasps) – why are they doing this? Why are they showing this? I think that that's bullshit criticism, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that because that's what I've heard a lot. Like, yeah. oh, I was just distracted the whole two and a half hours because I was waiting to see Sharon take it murdered and wondering, like, how can he, you know, portray something so regressive and horrible on the screen? Right. Yeah. But without giving it, him, by the way, without giving him points for turning it on its head and making yeah. it where that doesn't happen. Anyway. Yeah. What do you not think? only giving him points for that, for, for turning it on its head, but also um, the movie was originally scheduled to be released on the anniversary of that happening 
and he had the wherewithal to change it. He said, these people are going to be really offended, so I'm going to change that. And uh-huh. so I, I think that deserves a little bit of credit. But anyway, yeah, I, I think it's a completely ridiculous thing. And then uh, just to add on to, to that criticism, uh, maybe you were going to bring this up, I don't know, but if you look on film Twitter, you will find people complaining that Tarantino doesn't explain who Manson is and what the Manson murders were for right, the part of, of the s- audience that, that doesn't know about it. So it's assumed it's a, knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Assumed knowledge. And, and I mean, first of all, I mean, who the fuck doesn't know this? That's going into an R rated movie. Like who, who doesn't already know about these things, you know? But second of all, that well, there's like, wait, is not the on, point of the movie. Se- before. Okay. There's layers to that, right? Mm-hmm. I think, for instance, like if you're somebody who watched one of the recent, because I know there was a popular Netflix documentary about Manson that just came out, mm-hmm. right? And then there were some. There's been popular culture built around Manson over the course of the last probably fifty years, right? Forty, yeah, forty-five, sure. fifty years. Um, movies, TV shows, shows, dramatizations, and you know, fictionalizations, novelizations. I think that to varying degrees, he very expertly. Um, played the recognition where mm-hmm. there was a there was a, a shot for me knowing what I know. I mean, like I've I've seen that documentary before, so I'm pretty well versed on Marilyn Manson, uh, Marilyn Manson, on uh, <laughs> Charles Manson shit, right? So um. as soon as they zoomed in on uh on and he made a very deliberate choice and with with a scene and great filmmakers do this, they are telling you a story with every shot. And mm-hmm. very early on, they showed you that, like, Rick Dalton lives on Cielo Drive. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's the the very famous, well-known place where that should, if you are somewhat familiar with that story, that should, like, strike a chord. Like, oh, shit, Cielo Drive, what do I know that from? That's from the, um, the Manson murders and, you know, the Sharon Tate murder and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. like, you immediately know it then. If not, then they start introducing you like, this is Sharon Tate, by the way. Mm-hmm. Do you know who she is in her <laughs> right. story? I mean, like, there are layers of, like, getting you into that. I feel like if you have that level of cultural illiteracy, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any Tarantino that you're going to like because all of Tarantino sure. is basically playing off of pre-existing cultural knowledge. Like, Absolutely. what are you going to... Like what? What would be your frame of reference if you imagine somebody who knows who's a blank slate and has never seen movies and doesn't doesn't understand anything about you know cinema and going in and watching like a mediocre Tarantino movie, a Grindhouse, uh, Death Proof, mm-hmm. they would have no would, idea. They'd be like, "Why am I watching this? What is this? Yeah. I don't get it." Exactly. Yeah, all of his movies are are, are total homages to to previous things and and even when they're not like film wise like paying tribute to that stuff uh he's got characters talking about like all this stuff from classic hollywood and and from pop culture and all that stuff and all those jokes would just go right over their heads yeah the first like and again going back to death proof which i think is illustrative because he's the first one to admit that that's his worst movie Mm -hmm. um uh, which is still a fucking really good movie. If Death Proof yeah. is on TV, I'm watching it, and I'm just going to watch from wherever it's at. I'm probably going to watch the rest of it. I learned that during my rewatches a couple weeks ago. I, I always thought I didn't like it, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, wow, there's actually a lot of great <laughs> really in this. Really good. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to um 
to Zoe Bell too. By sure. the way, she has a uh, cameo in mm-hmm. um, in in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, she was the star, in my opinion, even though she probably didn't have the top billing behind. Um, who was the star? It was Sydney Poitier's daughter and what's her name? Um, Cory Booker's girlfriend. Uh, Cory uh, Booker's girlfriend. Cory Booker's girlfriend, um, who is, you know, the famous actress, the huge actress whose name oh, is... Oh, Rosario Dawson? Rosario Dawson, yeah. Yeah, you. that's Damn. right. He is, he is with her. Huh? I forgot about <laughs> so, that. Like, um, whatever. Zoe Bell, in my opinion, was the star of that movie. Sure. I mean, yeah. what she did in that movie was incredible with the stunts and everything. Uh, she has a little cameo, a great cameo, too, in, mm-hmm. um, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. One of my favorite Hollywood people. I don't know if it's necessarily proper to call her an actress but like i mean she is an actress also but her she's like a just a skilled you know stunt person um but i mean watching that movie again i realized like even like even his less even even the like the the bottom end of his catalog of movies it, you, like the first third of that movie is them laying out um, Vanishing Point, right? Talking about the car in Vanishing Point. Mm-hmm. If you're not a film person or that particular milieu of film doesn't interest you, then like you're 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 gonna be you're gonna be lost. You're gonna be not under. Yeah. And again, in this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the whole first third of it, actually, I would say the first two acts of the of the movie are lay, laying the groundwork for you saying like this is hollywood through the yeah. 50 it actually starts way earlier it starts in the 40s 50s and then in, into the 60s when the main characters are sort of on the downside of their career yeah. and uh like this is the way that it works this is you know the rise of italian spaghetti westerns and the the shift in hollywood to um like we we meet a steve mcqueen character uh who was played by one of my favorite um actors damian lewis great inspired casting by the way i love damian lewis (laughs) seeing damian lewis as as uh steve mcqueen was was a real treat even just for that one scene and you understand that this is a a a paradigm shift in hollywood in 1969 where Mm -hmm. it's becoming to it's starting to look more like the hollywood that we would recognize like the movies that are going to get start getting made they're only seven or eight years away from jaws they're only six years away from um from uh, Star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. like it's 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 very close to becoming the 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 type of thing that we know now. Yeah, I mean, what did what, what did you think about that schism? I guess or like that, like you you and I are the same. Like we don't watch movies from the fifties or sixties, right? I know, and that, that was part of the reason I think that uh, even that really the seventies, like yeah. yeah, I think that is part of the reason why it didn't immediately connect with me because I. Rather than looking at and thinking about what uh, you know, what the point of it all really was, it was I was more looking at all of the recreations of these you know cowboy movies and shows and like all the all the stuff from that era and like like I've seen you know recreations of that stuff before like I you know yeah Leonardo DiCaprio is great but I mean I don't need to see that you know and like that's why it didn't quite connect with me at first but then once it started the overall movie the whole story the whole you know thing that's happening there that's when it really started to hit me and start to like i really started to love it um i did want to say one other thing though about um you know this whole 
idea of not knowing who Manson was. And uh, it's so crazy to me. I don't even know how to process that. Well, part of the reason that people were upset about that, it wasn't just because they were, uh, you know, that they didn't understand who Manson was or or who, who Sharon Tate was. It was because they were offended that these kids were getting the shit beat out of them and murdered to death in the end, what did they do to deserve it? And it was like not, not understanding that that play on history. And uh, I, I just, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going to assume that all these people are young that mm-hmm. don't know who the, the Manson people are. When I was young, I, I don't care what the story was. I want to see people get their faces kicked in in the movies like you well, know what I, think, I mean like I, I think that that's changed I mean yeah, I young do people think that that's changed and I don't want to be the last thing yo I'm gonna get into my 70s and my 80s if like the fucking uh if uh the the the, the great magnet that controls the worlds is kind enough to allow me to get into the 70s into my 70s and 80s I'm going to do it without ever becoming the guy that's like fucking kids these days. But, (laughs) but I will say, I don't think that that's really the thing anymore, man. Based on a lot of the, and you and I had a very frank text message conversation that I'm not going to re, I'm not going to (laughs) replay verbatim here, but I will say that it is my opinion that I do think that there should be a moratorium put on people under the age of 30 being taken seriously as movie reviewers or reviewers right. of culture, <laughs> right. I, maybe music. Let them review music. That's fine. I don't know. Yeah, they they, they seem to. They these teenagers seem on the ball. They seem to know what they're doing. But <laughs> with, with music, but with movies, I feel like. And when I look back on my own time, you know, ten years ago when I was under thirty, uh, thinking about thinking about how I was then even sort of stripping away my own self-consciousness and my own, you know, everybody's tendency to sort of exalt themselves in their own mind. If Mm -hmm. I try to be like humble and honest about it, I too was probably a prisoner of my own experience and my own concerns. Like Mm -hmm. I was somebody who was like, yeah, okay. But what does this have to say with about, what does this have to say about the plight of, you know, Puerto Rican New Yorkers, you know, like, I mean, it, it doesn't speak to me because of this and more than any movie in recent memory. I'm seeing a lot of those takes. I'm seeing Mm -hmm. a lot of takes that are specific to whatever your concern class is, whatever concern class you're, you either identify with or you regularly, um, you regularly amplify. So it's, it's about them and not the actual piece of film. Right. And it's an offense to portray something on film that doesn't comport to modern sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Now, your guy, who's your dragged across concrete guy? What's that guy's name? Oh, S. Craig Zoller. Okay. That guy, for sure. I can get on board with calling that guy a piece of shit. Right, right, I think he's absolutely. a pretty good filmmaker. I, I really mm-hmm. liked um, Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine. I love which that I movie. still haven't I've, seen. I, w- I want to watch that. Oh, really good. We should watch it together. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but gr- very good movie. Dragged Across Con- Concrete, less good, but still I'm, very good though. I'm able to recognize, I think, and I think a good 
cr- critic of culture should be able to recognize exploitation for the sake of exploitation for the mm-hmm. sake of like pushing um like that guy probably like 75% believes the shit that he's pushing out there like sure i would not like he's probably ideologically on par with the fucking uh you know the son from uh green book or whatever what was it? green book <laughs> yeah. Green, yeah green green book green book right yeah He's probably like the, the the producer, the guy who made that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who we know is like a conservative, you know, retrograde, uh, reactionary piece of shit. This yeah. guy is probably like that too. I think that it's not likely that Quentin Tarantino is like that. I mean, I don't think on... he is at all. And not at yeah, all. I, they, and he gets such shit for his portrayal. You know, people you know using the n word and and all portrayal of different races and women and all that stuff. And it it just doesn't make sense. It's like people don't know how to compartmentalize, like, you know, the fact that he's just writing interesting characters and interesting characters are sometimes, right? you know, from across are, are every... fucked up. And what yeah. I'm seeing a lot of is like, uh, okay, there is, for those who haven't seen it, there's an allusion to the fact, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is an allusion to the fact that um, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt's character may or may not be violent towards women. It might not mm-hmm. have a, a history of violence towards women. And it's specifically left ambiguous. Yes. You know, to the viewer. Uh, but it's alluded to in a very, very, very strongly alluded to. And um, and he want clearly, this is not this guy's first movie. It's his fucking ninth movie. He, <laughs> yeah. If he put that in there, it's because he wants you to feel that way and know that way, know that and feel that way about that character. Well, there's actually a really great article. I wish I'll try to look it up after um, so I could cite it. But uh, it, it talks specifically about that scene and about how it colors like your your view of the film and how genius that is, because it basically almost makes it into two characters, depending on how you read it. And it's a brilliant it, setup because anyone otherwise, who watches it. it's such a flat two dimensional movie without that. Without yeah. that, Brad Pitt's character is this unimpeachably great you know, root for him type of character and Mm. the complexity and the emotion that you feel, you don't really know what you know about him, but you think you know what you know about him. And, and, and knowing that at the end, when he sort of is, uh, you know, has his hero moment, you're like, "Mm, you know, how do I feel about that? Yeah. He (laughs) has his hero moment by doing the thing that I'm mostly worried that he probably did. And it's, it's great. I think it's great storytelling. And um, again, we get back to this thing about like, oh, well, it's triggering or bad for people to see um, or people like are physically revulsed or reviled by by doing it or I mean by witnessing it. And it's like, okay, man, I mean, there's – don't see it. Don't go see that. There's shit that (laughs) I I don't go see. There's things that I I don't go see because I know that I won't like the feeling of it. Yeah. If Quentin Tarantino movies were like that for me, I wouldn't go fucking see them. But that <laughs> doesn't mean that he shouldn't make movies or that he should have to comport his filmmaking style or any artist should have to comport their filmmaking style to the tastes and Absolutely. the of 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 the the portion of the public that are going to be most reviled by it. Like that's for Disney. Disney yeah. does that. I just want to say, I'm looking at a picture of Brad Pitt in the movie right now. And is there any better face in all of Hollywood <laughs> to not be sure whether or not they murdered their wife? <laughs> it's such a great face. If you told me like, yeah, that guy killed his wife, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe. 
there's a good chance. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. I liked the movie. I thought that it had a lot to. Uh, I thought that it had a lot to say about American second acts and about the way that, um, the way that in this country, like such a small, it, like it can be such a, just like a a, a tightrope of being on top and just falling apart like yeah I, I i'm always fascinated by stories of i mean everybody is i guess but stories of redemption and stories of people falling apart and people picking themselves back up um <laughs> i mean this is a much more screwball version of it mm-hmm. but like it's still a compelling interesting story and it was so light it was like so not it's definitely his lightest movie by far two and a half hours just went right by i mean i yeah. can't think of any parts that dragged no not at I all i mean it was like a two and a half hour movie that just like hummed right by i'm hoping to go see it again this weekend actually uh i'm gonna do that and um probably the farewell which is supposed to be great but yeah i do want to see it a second time though yeah, and I said a couple weeks ago on this podcast, like, hey, isn't it cool? There's a Quentin Tarantino movie coming out. And, like, yeah, it was. It was really cool that there was a Quentin yeah. Tarantino movie out. And it's an event, dude. And I guess we're yeah. only going to get to do this one more time, you know? Probably, yeah. And, I mean, unless somebody else emerges. I don't know if you're aware of anybody who's, like, maybe even, like, the Safdie brothers, their stuff is very hard. And, like, yeah. well, I'm that, trying to that's think of somebody thing. under the age of 35 who's making movies that are just real genre bending interesting takes on different i mean, I, the, I don't know you got anybody the else closest there? the closest thing i could think of and i don't i don't think he's a quentin tarantino yet but we'll see and that's ari oster who did uh uh midsummer and hereditary, hereditary um yeah. he makes two he made two incredibly interesting movies back to back and so we'll see where his career goes um, but yeah, no, you know, another thing about Tarantino is he's one person where if you're going to have a movie conversation with somebody, you know, that other person has probably seen every single one of his movies. Who else can you, yeah. even Coen brothers, you can't say that about, you know, Coen you're brothers, talking to I think, someone. I mean, are they, are they, I've noticed they've become less prolific over the years. Like yeah, they're not well, making as much and they're older. Like both of those, yeah. those guys are older than Tarantino is. So yeah. And, and then like Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, who would also be a very close relative to this kind of filmmaking. I mean, I think a lot of people probably didn't see Phantom Thread. I think a lot of people yeah. didn't see his first movie, Hard Eight, which I've, I actually have never seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's just nobody. Paul Thomas that Anderson liked went a completely Tarantino. different direction. Do you remember the late '90s when people were saying like they were comparing Paul Thomas Anderson, who came onto the scene, I suppose. Um, a few years after Tarantino, and they were saying like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is," you know, I think it was specifically tied to Boogie Nights, sure. which had this very, you know, I mean, what does this say about Tarantino that I'm saying like it had a Tarantino vibe? Like yeah. that should tell you everything you need to know about this guy. That there is this feel of movie that it's unquantifiable. Like it's unquantifiable. Mm-hmm. You can't really say it, but like that feeling, that sort of freewheeling weirdness, period vibe that's like skewing between comedy and um and drama and just sad tragedy but uh (laughs) like there was a actually i heard a really funny story um where tarantino was recounting that paul thomas anderson called him at some point in like 1997 Mm -hmm. or 1998 and said uh hey i'm a big fan of your work um with this movie that just came out that i just did uh, which was boogie nights he was like all these people are like saying that I'm like you and that 
I'm, you know, you and I are similar and I just figured I should reach out and maybe we could go like get a, a drink or something uh, before it gets weird, you know, when people mm-hmm. start asking us about each other and stuff. And at least we could like know each other. And Tarantino was like, yeah, for sure. And they got together and they met and hung out and they've been friends ever since. But one of the funny things that came out of that is that Tarantino gave him shit about a scene in Boogie Nights where, mm. um, you know, very, very famously uh the director there was a scene where uh, there was a a portion of the movie where burt reynolds character who played the director who was based off of a real life porn director um Mm. was uh saying like this is my greatest work this is the greatest work i've ever done and the movie that they show within the movie of mark Wahlberg and john c Riley is a horrible movie it's a horrible porn (laughs) that that real director was actually a very good filmmaker and Quentin Tarantino was like, I'm always he he always busts Paul Thomas Anderson's balls about saying like, he would not have said that he wouldn't have said this is my That's greatest work. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, back to my original question, I guess like, I don't know, is there anybody that's like coming out like that now? I mean, I feel like we really are at post, you know, celebrity director. I mean, like everybody, yeah. if you have like a unique or interesting vision. It just eventually gets subsumed by like Marvel or Disney. Like Marvel right. is like, okay, well, you're an interesting, compelling director who has a, a a unique vision and an interesting way of delivering things. Okay, well, now you're doing Thor movies for the next ten years. Here, here's the thing with that question: is we're we're now at a point where yes, either they're going to get turned into a big Marvel director, like they're going to get picked up, like a what's his name, Tyke. Taiki, Taika Waititi. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna be like a that guy and get turned into a Marvel director, or your movies are just gonna be a little too obscure for everyone to have seen them, and and so you just can't have conversations like well, this, this goes, because this, not everybody's gonna see it. This goes back to our argument though, because like if uh, 15 years ago your movies that are just a little too obscure for everybody to see mm-hmm. are movies that still go in and pull like 50, 60 million dollars in the box office. I know today. I know. They don't even get onto a movie screen. Exactly. Today, a movie like that doesn't mostly. Somebody was telling me about like uh, I was listening to something recently about all the different genres of movies that you just don't see in movie theaters anymore. Sure. Like you don't see. I remember we were texting about this. You don't see a sports movie anymore. They don't yeah. make sports movies. They don't nope. even. They just don't make them. At yeah. All. And, when, and when they do happen, Entire they're like genre, weird, gone. weird Christian movies or something. Is are the sports movies? But yeah, yeah no, yeah, they do not make those anymore. And yeah, there, there's just, just all these movies that go, they either they they they're in the Christian market or they're 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 direct to video or direct to Netflix or you know just something. But could they don't, like, nobody's gonna see those movies. Ever. Could how about this? And this is where we're missing out. And you always say like. The argument that you and I have, I'm par- I'm like sort of like uh, trimming it down a little bit, but like the argument that you and I always have is that you're like, oh, those movies are still getting made. You just kind of got to mm-hmm. look for them. And yeah. I'm like, no, there's a whole crop of movies that are not out there anymore. And the one that I'll point at, because I was just reading something about this movie and I forgot what a fucking incredible movie it is. And it made a quarter of a billion dollars and nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, today, a a, a director who has the equivalent notoriety or power as uh, Michael Mann could not put a movie like Collateral in theaters anymore. He couldn't mm-hmm. even get Jamie Fo- uh, the whatever the equivalent of Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise are today, which yeah. I guess are probably still Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise. Um, 
like he, you, he he couldn't. First of all, he couldn't get those actors. Second of yeah. all, if he could, they still wouldn't take a movie like that and put it in a movie theater. Well, it's fu- funny you bring that up because it was just a puzzle piece on uh, our Stuber episode with Kamel Nanjani and uh, what's his name, uh, the wrestler guy who was uh, Drax yeah. in. Uh, That's a real Guardians on the nose the one. I mean, like yeah. I, it was a parody. <laughs> I thought it was a parody of Collateral. It basically <laughs> is. Yeah, it's yeah. basically like a parody of it. But um, yeah, I, mean, no, I haven't I'm, seen Stuber. I'm not. I'm probably uh, not going to. But like, it's not. It's it, not that good. But yeah, um, it, it, yeah. it looks like it looked at first blush like it was just a, a parody of of that movie. I will give you that, though. That is a really perfect level of movie that is really difficult to find. I mean, like a lot of like the um, like, you know, my A24 and Neon and Fox Searchlight movies are smaller than that. Um, even even if they're still like 20 million, 30 million, whatever, they're, right. they're still smaller than that. But between that and, then, and the big stuff, there's a yeah, huge free fire zone. Like there is a here's what would happen if, if Michael Mann showed up with that script to Sony or to Universal or whatever and was like, okay, I want to make this movie or, or like, uh, you know, whatever Warner or Disney, they would go looking through all of the, you know, B or C level comic book characters in DC (laughs) and Marvel history. And they'd be like, okay, well, can we make Tom Cruise's character be the, the paladin or something like that? Or like some other obscure Marvel (laughs) character. Like I, I feel like that's right. what they would do. I feel like like the Venom movie was just a movie about an alien and a guy, and then they're like, you know what we should do? We should make this movie about Venom. Yeah, right. And, I, and that's <laughs> no, you're, I mean, you're I love not comic you're books not more wrong. than anybody, but like, fuck, man. Yeah. Let 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 cinema breathe a little bit. No, you're 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 not wrong. But there's still lots of great dramas and dark comedies, at least. But uh, yeah, as far as like like a thriller or something like that, no, it's it's rare. And you know what? You know what actually would be the closest thing is one of my favorite movies of the year because of how fucking awful it is, and that is Serenity, which is one of the closest things that we've had to the room since the room came out. Um, but that is that the one where Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey yeah. is a video game. <laughs> Or something? Yeah. Did I just spoil uh, it? I'm sorry if I you, spoiled it. You did, but you didn't spoil anything, honestly. But <laughs> uh, you just spoiled the twist, but there's way more to it than that. But uh, but yeah, it's just such a glorious mistake, the movie. But it is kind of, though, it fits into the realm of like that level of movie that you're talking about, though. That 40 to $60 million uh, you know, movie that isn't just a little dark drama, you know. And uh, it's people should watch it because it's hilarious. Here's another genre that you can't mm-hmm. get away with anymore um, unless you're Quentin Tarantino or mm-hmm. actually I would say Quentin Tarantino or maybe Wes Anderson and even Wes Anderson can't get away with this anymore. A movie where the two main characters are white men, straight white men. <laughs> like if you're, yeah, if your difficult. story doesn't organically have that in it, or if it does have that in it, then, and don't get me wrong for like, a solid the better part of a century it was the other way around where your story mm-hmm. had to have two straight white men uh otherwise it would not get made um but now uh, if you're not quentin tarantino you're not making a movie with sure. two you know straight white protagonists which that's good i mean i think that representation is important i see like the way that my daughter has reacted to this um the spider-man into the spider-verse movie Mm-hmm. seeing a girl Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy, and how like bonkers she's gone in the last like 6 or 7 months over the whole concept of a girl Spider-Man and like that 
really drives home the importance of um of representation and representation's hugely sure. important. I think representation is is humming along pretty nicely right now. I think that it's mm-hmm. being done well now, and it's got a lot to overcome. I mean, just you know, it's only been a buzzword for the last like four or five years, so there's decades and decades of shit to overcome. But again, unless you're Quentin Tarantino, I don't know how to explain this, Dave. I feel like as a writer or as like a creator. I feel like it's a compromise if from the moment that you're coming up with something or building something or conceiving of something, if you're like, oh, I better make sure that there's like a plucky Latino kid, you know, I better like it's it reminds me of like the 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 old sitcoms in the um, in the in the 70s and 80s where they would kind of get like really weak in the last couple seasons and they would just throw a little kid in. Or yeah, like, you yeah. know, they would like throw in a baby and they'd be like, okay, that'll, that'll spice things up. It feels like that. It feels contrived. Well, you and know what I'm, else, you know what else too? And I agree with that hundred percent. It feels contrived, but also if it fails, it, it just becomes yet another reason for, you know, the shitheads out there to be like, oh, see, yeah. it's stupid. It's fucking all the stupid. worst they people on the it. internet are like, yeah. Oh my God. I'm so glad that black Panther did so incredibly because if black yeah. Panther <laughs> hadn't been the greatest comic book movie ever made. Right. It was going to be savaged, which is uh-huh. horrible, which is fucking yeah. terrible. But yeah. I guess that's the stakes of this fucking like you can't be just like you can't just be in the center of anything. Like you either have to be like full bore. Yes. Fuck. Yeah. I'm going to see Black Panther two times and I'm going to support it. And I love that movie. And I love the idea that it's being made. Or you're just a fucking racist. Like, and, and I mean, I'm not. I'm not being sarcastic. Like, yeah. legitimately, those are the two things. Yeah. Everybody out there who's like rooting for Black Panther to fail, yeah, go searching through their Twitter timeline. You're gonna see some unsavory shit no. that is has nothing to do with comic book movie criticism. Yeah, and and those are the people that we should be watching, not people who enjoy Quentin Tarantino movies. That yeah. that should be the the main point. Speaking of people we should be watching, Dave, as we transition nicely off of uh, the uh, the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, if I made you king of the United States tomorrow, what would you do about gun control? What would you change about the way that guns well, exist this, in our land right now? I, I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that because uh, the thing that I've noticed the most in the past week since these two horrible shootings uh, that, that happened the other day, and it, not that it's that different from every time there's a shooting in the country, but the thing I've noticed is there is absolutely no right answer to the question. No matter what, someone is going to hate like to your very core what, what you're saying and what you're suggesting. And it's, it's really, it's, it's adding into my whole not wanting to care anymore (laughs) about politics and stuff like that. I mean, now you can't, you can't suggest that mental illness is the issue. Um, that's not allowed anymore before. Of course it's, oh, you're never going to be allowed to suggest that guns are the issue. Um, and now you can't suggest that guns are the issue on on, like, (laughs) like, I guess there's no problem. I guess everything is fine. And this is the way things are supposed to be. I think that's probably the right answer. I mean, that you, you can't, there's just nothing. There's absolutely nothing. <laughs> I wish I had a better answer. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Mental illness is like obviously a part of it. And, but it's, but it, in, in the context that we're talking about, it gets scapegoated. I mean, I can't think of a comprehensive mental illness pro- or mental health program that would have snagged either of these based on the composite profiles they're building of mm-hmm. these two shooters. Yeah. And also a bunch of shooters in recent memory. I mean, I can't think of not all of them. Obviously, some were real deranged lunatics and a stronger, sure. you know, a more robust. Uh, not He's not a shooter, but he was just sentenced to 20 years the other day. Cesar Sayak, who is the um, the Miami man or the South Florida man who sent a bunch of shitty non-functional pipe bombs to a bunch of Democratic, uh, uh, you know, members of Democratic leadership or prominent liberals or people that he perceived to be liberal anyway mm-hmm. um so like that guy just got sentenced to 20 years and a more robust mental health care system probably would have caught him because he was very clearly out in the streets gibbering like a maniac for <laughs> years yeah. um just cramming steroids into his system and you know screaming at oncoming traffic like a psychopath and yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that it's the kind of behavior that in the United States we just ignore it or like, honey, look away. Don't pay attention to that man mm-hmm. at where, you know, in a more more healthy um, society, we probably would have addressed it. Great. But and also like the the, the guy, the guy who shot um, the Arizona congresswoman, um, Gabby Giffords, and mm-hmm. a bunch of other people, including, a, uh, I think, a federal judge back in like 2012 like that guy was very clearly mentally ill and he would have gotten probably scooped up in a more um robust system yeah it's something worth talking about for sure not to minimize that but a lot of these motherfuckers man are operating fine you don't see them Mm -hmm. they're isolated we talk about isolation on this podcast a lot we talk about like what a pernicious dangerous thing it is like how we're living in an age of loneliness, how we're living in an age mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of just complete isolation. Um, we're more connected than ever. I feel like I'm like spitting out all these catchphrases and shit, but like they're true. Like <laughs> yeah. we are more connected than ever, but we're also more separated than ever. And um, not us, not me and you, even though me and you are like a little more cloistered than we used to be. I mean, think about it. <laughs> imagine imagine just existing in one week of our 20s when we were out six nights a week meeting dozens of new people every night it's exhausting but the most exhausting thing i can imagine <laughs> but still we get on the phone every night or every 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 week i should say and we talk to each other we talk mm-hmm. to other people we interact with co-workers we go out occasionally to things i mean mm-hmm. there are entire segments of this population that are closed off that are you know, I, I hate to, you know, perpetuate stereotypes, but literally living in basements, um, mm-hmm. like embarrassed to leave or, or to, to, to walk upstairs and be judged by their family who are wondering why they're 26 and they're still living in the basement. And like, there's a trillion different pathologies that are happening out there that are playing out and that I don't think a mental health care system would um, would catch. But I do think a more robust uh, you know, gun registry system would at least prevent. Mm-hmm. So, sure. I mean, that's 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 really my only my only thought on that. Uh, like, there's no everything. Yeah. Everything is cliche when it comes to the when it comes to the issue of um, mass shootings. Now, there isn't a single like 
like hard edged snarky joke you can make anymore. There isn't anything that you can say anymore. No, yeah, it's absolutely. It's it's almost not even worth reporting anymore. Yeah, I was actually just thinking the same thing. It's almost like we should have a uh, like a no gun story policy. You know, no shootings policy. Um, Cause yeah, it, it's it's always the same shit, and nobody wants to hear any possible solutions. That's what it comes down to. So, what do you think about this? I don't know why this is trending right now. I feel like this happened yesterday, but um, <laughs> people are saying that Joaquin Castro, uh, uh, who is a former DHS secretary uh, who's running for president right now and probably probably on his way out, he's probably not got much longer in his campaign. Um, that he <laughs> he posted names uh Joaquin Castro posts names employers of Trump donors Democratic Texas uh rep Joaquin Castro on Monday tweeted the names and employers of 44 44- oh no this is Joaquin this isn't Julian sorry sorry my bad um I mixed up the twins uh <laughs> so Democratic St- Texas representative uh Joaquin Castro on Monday tweeted the names and employers of 44 San Antonio residents who donated the federal maximum to President Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Castro, whose district includes much of San Antonio, claimed the donors, quote, are fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanic immigrants as invaders. Castro is the twin brother of Democratic presidential candidate Julian Castro and chairs his presidential campaign. Chairs his presidential campaign. So uh, here's a tweet that came from Castro. It says, Sad to see so many San Antonians as 2019 maximum donors to Donald Trump. The owner of Bill uh, Bill Miller Barbecue, owner of histor- his of the historic Pearl, realtor Phyllis Browning. Their contributions are fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanic immigrants as invaders. Uh, and then he has a um, like a, a an image link to basically a list of what he what is titled like who's funding Trump, and it's just a bunch of people. Here's the thing, like, okay, complain all you want. That's publicly, he didn't dox anybody because he's getting, he's being, it's being said that he doxed all these people. Mm -hmm. That's public information, man. That's like out there. You, all you have to do is search for it. That's not doxing. I'm not like putting out any, you're not putting out anybody's social security number. Why, why is it, um, why was it not already out? Is it just, it is out. It's just, he tweeted it. So it's just that he tweeted it. Like, it was already there, and then he just tweeted it, and now they're saying that it's it. his it's, fault. It's available on, um, you know, on the, the Open Secrets. Yeah. You can find that shit on Open Secrets. It's public. Hmm. It's And oh, Open Secrets is just an inter- intermediary for um, FEC database data. Like, you can just mm-hmm. pull all that shit from any, any number of sources. It's all public information. Hmm. So... Uh, I love... So then, yeah, that's that's fucking ridiculous. And I, I don't understand like why people would say that. I don't know either. I, um, uh, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of a counterfactual, like a time where, where it was ever like. I mean, you see all the time lists of these are the people funding. I mean, like, not so much anymore, obviously, but back in 2014, 15, 16. These are the people funding the Clinton uh, machine and right. funding the you know the Clinton Foundation. I don't ever remember anybody complaining about like just the naming of those people. It's just a matter of pub- again a matter of public record. I 
<laughs> don't, 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 if you, if you're worried about being held accountable for contributing to Donald Trump, don't contribute to Donald Trump. Like if you don't believe in it, <laughs> if you don't believe in him, in him, in his campaign and what he's doing and what he, uh, you know, what he's sharing, like, or w- w- I mean, what he's, um, what he stands for and what his campaign has been and what, what the subsequent administration has been, then don't, don't like, don't, uh, don't contribute to his campaign. Fuck man. I don't know what to tell you. That shit is dumb as shit. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think about the Monica Lewinsky American crime story that's going to come out? Hey, the last two are fucking great. So, I mean, it's a, a I don't I don't know about this particular story. Um but the last two seasons were awesome. Dave, why is Michael Sarah trending? What is going mm. on there? Is he dead? You're telling me Michael Sarah is trending. Holy shit. I have no idea why. I love that the first like six tweets are. No, all of them I don't, are like. I don't know why, why Michael is Michael Sarah trending. Yeah, they're all the same thing. <laughs> what? This is one of those like weird Ouroboroses that are like, <laughs> like there's look, there's one where it's like a an old school Mickey Mouse cartoon where it's just Mickey opening door after door after door, and they're all just the same door. And it's like trying to figure out why Michael Sarah is trending. Yeah. (laughs) 